0: Hello and welcome to this edition of Wineskins, a program that features reflections on the lives of the saints and sacred scriptures, along with information on topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Jim Corda. Wineskins is brought to you by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our show today, I will interview Pete Sheehan former editor of the Catholic Exponent. We will also look at the life of St. Damien of Molokai, as well as reflections on the readings for this fifth Sunday of Easter. That and more coming up on Wineskins. In our Bishop's Corner, we will welcome Katie Wagner. Joining me again is Katie Wagner, who is the Editor-in-Chief of the Catholic Echo and Associate Director of Communications for the Diocese. Welcome back to Wineskins.
1: Thank you, Father Corda. Glad to be back.
0: Katie, last time you were here, we talked about the Catholic Echo website, and I'm sure that's going wonderful. It's a really uh, inspiring and outstanding uh, way to feature a lot of what's going on in the realm of communication and social media here in the Diocese. But we want to focus now on our short time together on the Catholic Echo, which is the new magazine that's going to replace the 80-year-old Catholic exponent. So let's talk briefly about the Catholic exponent, and then we'll talk about what the Catholic Echo is. So tell us about the history, in a nutshell, of the Catholic exponent
1: sure so the catholic exponent was formed one year after the diocese was so that was 1944 and they published consistently for all of that time which is pretty amazing even through the pandemic they are a wonderful, wonderful team of people that have been putting this together. I'm very glad to say that they have joined us at The Echo, and it's just been a very exciting time taking the legacy of something you know, that was almost 80 years old and incorporating it into something new I'm really hoping that everyone will, when they see the, the Catholic Echo print product, that they will feel that we've honored that legacy. And I think we have.
0: Isn't it interesting for us as Catholics is that we kind of build on what has come before us, mm-hmm. you know. And there's, there's this kind of metaphor that we as a church have like one foot in the past but one foot kind of moving right so there's that sense that we treasure the past in the tradition but we have to keep moving forward we have to continue to get that message out and so what we've done obviously with the catholic echo now is to transform from the 20th century really into the 21st century so How has that happened for us here in the Diocese of Youngstown with this new Catholic Echo?
1: I would say a big piece of it is what we talked about last time, and this is the the website that accompanies it. When I was brought on and we were talking about figuring out how to modernize and how to move forward with the print product, a big piece of the priority was making it digital first. So things are posted on the website pretty instantaneously. And we have, also taken the design of the exponent and we have updated it. So, you know, the magazine is going to be around 36 pages pretty much every time it comes out, except for September. We're thinking about maybe something a little different for September, but we've really employed modern design practices, modern photography practices, and we've figured out, too, the best way to utilize the media that we have to get out the messages that we need. So if you go to thecatholicecho.org, you'll notice that that's a lot of news, timely information, stuff that's happening right now, Whereas when you take a look at your Catholic Echo magazine, which is also available on the website, but when you look at the magazine, it's a lot of feature stories and stories of Catholic life in our region. And these are the things that we're really hoping that people will want to read and have the magazine set out on their coffee table for the month and sort of chip away at the stories. And, you know, I think we've really figured out how to best package the stories and the information that we're trying to get out there.
0: The one facet of this, that I also like is that every registered household in the Diocese of Youngstown will be receiving the Catholic Echo. Why is that important?
1: Well, that is important because, like we discussed last time, evangelization is one of our key goals. Now, the exponent was reaching around 19,000 households, and we knew was not our full base of parishioners. But last fall, we employed a database management firm that helped us work through all of the data from our various parishes. And at the end of that, we found out we have 52,000 households, which is pretty significant. So we're going to be sending the magazine out to all homes, and we're really looking forward to getting our message out there and and reaching everyone that we can.
0: Now for the folks that will be receiving the Catholic Echo, what do you want them to do to help you in return?
1: We are always looking for your story ideas. So my name is Katie Wagner, my email is kwagner at youngstowndiocese.org. If you ever have any sort of idea for a story, please send it my way. If you know someone who's doing something interesting or exciting at your parish, if you see something cool going on and you think, "Wow, oh, you know, that would be a nice thing to read about, Tell me about it. We want to know about it. Also, you can support the communications department, and that's something that you can do right on the website, and that's catholicecho.org. We have a section, if you go up to the nav, where you can see the various ways you can support us. Also, if you have a small business, we have various ways that you can advertise with the Echo, both digitally and in print. So those are some of the ways that you can support us. But really, at the end of the day, we just want you to read. (laughs) So we hope you'll take a look at the media website, read everything we have there. We'd love it if you'd pick up the magazine and see some of the content we're offering and let us know how we're doing. We're really looking forward to it.
0: Katie Wagner, Editor-in-Chief of the New Catholic Echo and also Associate Director of Communications for the Diocese. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. We look forward to this new venture called the Catholic Echo, and we thank you for all the work, time, and effort, and blood, sweat, and tears that you put into it. And God bless you in your ministry.
1: Thank you, Father Corda.
0: For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. The Church celebrates the Feast of St. Damian of Molokai on May 10th. To tell us more is Brother Joshua Seidel. He is from the Society of St. Paul in Canfield.
2: When Joseph de Vuster was born, few people in Europe had any first-hand knowledge of leprosy. By the same time he died, at the age of 49, people all over the world knew about this disease because of him. They knew that the human compassion could soften the ravages of this disease. The leper priest, the hero of Molokai, was born in Belgium on January 3, 1840. In 1860, he entered the congregation of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and Mary, taking the name of the 4th century physician and martyr. When his brother, a priest of the same congregation, Fell ill and was unable to go to the Hawaiian Islands as assigned. Damien quickly followed in his place. In May 1864, two months after arriving in his new mission, Damien was ordained a priest of Honolulu and assigned to the island of Hawaii. For the next nine years, he worked in the mission on the Big Island, Hawaii. In 1873, after volunteering for the assignment, he went to the leper colony of Molokai and set up seven years earlier. In time, he became their most effective advocate to obtain promised government support. Soon the establishment had new houses and a new church, school, and orphanage. Morale improved considerably. A few years later, he succeeded getting the Franciscan Sisters of Syracuse, led by Mother Marianne Cope, to help staff his colony in Molokai. At his canonization, Pope Emeritus Benedict said, Not without fear and loathing, Father Damien made the choice to go to the island of Molokai in the service of lepers who were there abandoned by all. So he exposed himself to the disease of which he suffered. With them he felt at home. The servant of the word became the suffering servant. Leper was the lepers during the last four years of his life. Damien cared for lepers of all ages but was particularly concerned about children segregated in the colony. He died in April 15, 1888 on Molokai. As requested, he was buried there but in 1936 the Belgium government succeeded in having his body moved to Belgium. Part of Damien's body was returned to his beloved Hawaiian brothers and sisters after his beatification in 1995. When Hawaii became a state in 1959, it declared Damien as one of his two representatives in the Statuary Hall at the U.S. Capitol. He was declared venerable in 1977. Pope St. John Paul II declared him beatified on June 4, 1995. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI declared him a saint on October 11, 2009, in the presence of King Albert II of Belgium and Queen Paola, as well as the Belgian Prime Minister and several cabinet members. Some people thought Damien was a hero for going to Molokai, and others thought he was crazy. To follow Christ, Damien not only left his homeland, but also risked his health so that he might receive eternal life. Damien's symbols are a tree and a dove, In St. Damien's role as an unofficial patron of those with HIV and AIDS, the world's only Roman Catholic Memorial Chapel to those who have died of this disease at Montreal, Quebec, is consecrated to him. The opening prayer of the Mass says, God our Father, in St. Damien of Molokai, you gave a light to your faithful people. made him a pastor of the church to feed your sheep with his word and to teach them by His example, help us by His prayers to keep the faith He taught and follow the ways of life He showed. For our wineskins, Brother Joshua Seidel. With me now
0: is Pete Sheehan, who is a former editor of the Catholic Exponent. Welcome to Wineskin.
3: Thank you, and thank you for having me, Father.
0: You've been with the Catholic Exponent for a number of years, and you brought a wealth of ideas and different writings and also perspective, and we want to talk about some of that today. But I think what I'd like to begin with is your greatest joy of being with the Catholic Exponent all of those years. What was
3: it? I'm glad you didn't ask me anything hard. I really enjoyed being engaged with the news and ensuring that the readers were informed on the events in the church, in the diocese, but also beyond. And I took great satisfaction in that we were presenting them with honest-to-goodness journalism. We weren't doing propaganda. We were reporting on the church, granted from a certain perspective. And I think, on the whole, readers tended to appreciate that.
0: Now, when we're talking about reporting for the church, how important is it that we kind of walk that line judiciously? How important is that?
3: It is important. The key distinction is to know the difference between news and feature stories and the editorials. And you can report on things that are not necessarily what the church believes as long as it's in the context of, this is what is happening and as long as you, you don't do it in such a way that you're taking a position pro or con. Now, it is a line to walk, but secular journalists do it all the time.
0: And what would have been some of the greatest challenges that you would have had over the years?
3: Any time you write about a school closing is difficult. It's emotional. Virtually no one is happy about it. I remember once interviewing a principal when her school was closing, and I was sympathetic because... I had been at a newspaper that had closed before I came back to Youngstown and I knew the difficulties, the frustrations, the fear. And then a few years later, another school is closed and I'm interviewing that same principal who had gotten a job with the school that was now closing. But you listen to people and you let people have their say and sometimes they're not going to be happy with the church but I I always thought it was important to let that come out. My Bishop in Rockville Center Diocese of Long Island used to say, if you don't print the bad news, people won't believe the good news. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, for many years, you were a writer at The Exponent. Before you came back to be the editor, what were some of the columns that you wrote as editor that you recall that brought you some great joy and great insight?
3: Well, who? Another easy question. I wrote Virtually every issue, I I had a column. I started like a month after I started here as editor in 2013. It's hard to say because column writing was the thing I seemed to enjoy the most. The interesting thing is, very often I didn't know where a column was going. I had a certain idea, and I would just start writing, and very often the point of it would occur to me as I was writing. But I enjoyed writing about things with my family. I've had many people tease me about... My dear bride, which is how I refer to Mary, or my lads, how I refer to Joey and Michael. They're not that crazy about that, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) as they've gotten older. But I said, well, you know, the Beatles used to refer to themselves as the lads, but we're American. But what I did with that column, and the title I normally used was Beyond the Facts. Newspaper reporting and even feature writing involves concentration on the facts, and that's the way it should be. But I have found that sometimes you need to offer a personal perspective. When I'm writing a news story, I tried to keep myself out of it, but there was something enjoyable about talking about my own personal experiences and people seemed to respond to that. The first time I had done anything like that was when on Long Island. They were once, we used to have a marriage section twice a year and I was just about to get married and the advertising director thought it would be fun to have me write something lighthearted about the trials and tribulations of preparing for a wedding. Well, at that point, I was incapable of writing anything lighthearted. There's t- too much on my mind, too much pressure, so I wrote something about marriage as a leap of faith, talking about my own difficulty in making the decision to propose to that beautiful woman who is the one great love of my life, and I wrote it up, and I gave it to the editors. I said, this isn't what you asked for. If you don't want it, our main editor used to say I get paid by the hour. I won't object. But... And it turned out they liked it, and I got more response on that than anything else I'd ever done. So occasionally I would write things like that, but there wasn't a format for me to have a regular column. So when I came here, I decided that's what I wanted to do. Again, it's hard for me to remember specifics because it's kind of like asking who's your favorite child. Even Joey or Michael might dispute whether or not I have one but I like to think I don't. Similar with your column.
0: What I'd like us to talk about now is currently you're a part-time writer for the Catholic Echo. Echo. So let's talk about what's one of the greatest joys for you as a religious
3: writer. I think faith is something that is important and I think faith case of a newspaper. It deserves good journalism. We have a daily paper, has a whole section devoted to sports, which is fine with me. I enjoy sports myself. It seems to me that coverage of faith is at least, if not more important, although it doesn't get the same space, but that's just the world we live in. So my joy is in trying to help people tell their stories and help provide information that's of interest. Right now, I'm working on a relatively short feature about a saint. We're probably going to do Joan of Arc, as I think she's a good one to start with. She's perhaps the best-known saint in terms of the popular imagination.
0: Well, Pete Chien, former editor and writer of The Catholic Exponent, it's been a pleasure to have you on Wineskins today to learn a little bit more about what you've done behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. also sharing some of your joys, some of the challenges. We look forward down the road as you do more writing to have you back to talk about some of that. Oh, I'd be delighted. And we'd like to thank you for your longtime service, not only to the Catholic Exponent, but also to the print media, which is so important in the church today. So thank you very much thank you. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, visit the website www.catholicecho.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
3: 33 million Americans have descended into poverty. And as their futures fall, so does our nations.
4: Church World Service believes that being self-reliant is a joy everyone should
0: share. So around the block or around the world, share the joy. The song we have for you today is from the CD called Handmaiden of the Lord. It is by the Daughters of St. Paul. to tell us about the scriptures for this fifth Sunday of Easter is Father Matthew Rorig. He is from the Society of St. Paul in
5: Canfield. Our Gospel reading puts us at the Last Supper with Jesus and the Apostles. Jesus knew that the Apostles' world would soon be turned upside down. In spite of repeated warnings, the Apostles were not ready for what was going to take place once they left the Supper room. So he gave them one last word of wisdom, Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Just trust me. In spite of Jesus' words not to be troubled, they were devastated after he was arrested and put to death. If Jesus' words at that time did not give much comfort to the apostles, they have been giving comfort in times of suffering to all the rest of us for the past 2,000 years. They are reflected in a very popular hymn, Be Not Afraid. Jesus describes to them why they should not be troubled or afraid because there would be a better life ahead for them and he was going away to prepare a place for them so that they could be with him forever. He told them there were many dwelling places in his father's house. Sometimes the word dwelling places is translated mansions. We have to carefully understand just what Jesus is saying here. Too often we interpret his words in a materialistic way thinking of multi-million dollar homes that we will have in heaven as a reward for being good. This kind of a vision reduced happiness to sheer materialism, and that is not what happiness with God will be all about. The Greek word translated as dwelling place does not mean mansion. The word puts emphasis on the act of staying or a dwelling. Reading further on in John's Gospel, we learn that the Father's house where Jesus is going and where there are many dwelling places, is really to be understood as the experience of communion with God and with Jesus and being able to share in God's glory. This will be a source of joy that is greater than anything we can know in this world. St. Paul tells us, What no one ever saw or heard, what no one ever thought could happen, is the very thing God prepared for those who love him. What's ahead for us is beyond our understanding. True, Jesus did use images we could understand to give us a hint of what heaven would be like. Heaven is like a hidden treasure, a pearl of great worth, a wedding banquet a king has for his son, a place without sadness or suffering or death. His examples can be very comforting to think about and can motivate us to live a holy life. What is more important to think about, though, is not what we'll find when we enter into the next life as the way that leads there. It's of major importance because if we don't go the right way, we won't end up in the right place. Our culture today tells us it doesn't matter what way we follow, we'll all end up in the same place. And that is not what Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us today, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is not only the way but also the truth. It is in him, in Jesus, that we will see the glory of God as he tells Philip today. When Philip asked to be able to see the Father, Philip was thinking, as we often do, that somehow God is hiding somewhere and if he would only show himself to us, we would be happy. God is not made of material things. He can't come out of hiding because he is not hiding from us. He is all around us, but we can only know him through a faith that fills our minds and hearts. And Jesus has pointed that way of faith out to us. For Wine Skins, I'm Father Matthew Rorick.
0: It seems to me that we would be very unwise to dismiss Jesus as an idealistic dreamer. There is evidence to suggest that he may be the only true realist among us, Jesus said it like it really is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Wineskins is made possible through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. The program is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda, saying thank you for being with us. Have a blessed week.
4: What have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug
3: this morning. I thought uh, i love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. (laughs) It looks pretty good. I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid.
4: What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the
3: newspaper to my wife and it cracked her up. But she's still laughing.
4: (laughs) What have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org, a message from the Catholic Church.
0: They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today, because one in six children in poverty
4: is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.